0: Welcome to the DJE podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm very excited to have Dino Pierce with us. He is the founder of Edified Equity, a private equity company that specializes in what else? Multifamily investments. That's what we talk about here. So, without any further ado, Dino. Good morning. How are you?
1: Hey, good morning. I am doing good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for coming on the show.
0: Um, I want to dig a little bit into kind of your transition. You know, you and I have talked a number of times, you know, over the past couple of years, kind of in a similar, we're in a similar space in industry, obviously. But I know that you did not, um, you know, you don't come from a long line of commercial real estate investors necessarily. You kind of got into this business within the
1: last few years
0: so walk us through your background and your path to real estate how did how did you end up
1: here yeah well I think it's important for um, your listeners to know that I had a I I did I didn't realize this because I was living it but I did have a different um, background and upbringing than most people because so I come from a family of entrepreneurs so I thought that everyone like own their own business and they went to work in their own business they had employees they they were operators uh, but you're right it wasn't it wasn't in the field of real estate but still I think that's what I actually know that's what gave me the entrepreneur bug and and that's what made me and shaped me who I am I mean I I talk about I've mentioned him on other podcasts but uh, my grandfather is the one who really paved the way you're talking about a man who, so I'm from Southeast Louisiana, mm-hmm. um, born and raised there. lived there for the first 18 years of my life. And anyway, he went to school, like showed up day one kindergarten and didn't even speak English. He, he only spoke French. Right. Um, in the fifth grade was forced to quit school to literally help his dad make money. Um, well, make money from the seafood industry so that they can feed their family. Uh, his dad, And he and his dad were in the Gulf of Mexico trawling, doing their livelihood. His dad died of a heart attack. This guy was 13 years old, drove his dad in from the Gulf of Mexico, and so this guy who couldn't speak English, quit school in the fifth grade, had a lot of young hardship, went on to become a self-made millionaire. But, but what he – and that's through the tugboat industry, the seafood industry, um, self-storage, developed self-storage, storage for uh, boats. The sports fishermen from New Orleans would keep their boats there, laundromat, fuel house, fish house. I mean, even a small motel. You name it, Nolte did it. But – I didn't have the I wasn't I didn't have the silver spoon syndrome. Instead, he made me work the hardest, the longest and I got paid the least because he said that's how I did it. And if I give it to you, I don't think that that's going to allow you to replicate what I did. And right. I so thank him for that. So, so that's like my entrepreneurial background and same thing my mom and dad had their own businesses, but um I started And I had some small businesses growing up, just having that entrepreneurial bug, but I started in real estate about five years ago and kind of took the scenic route, Um, not an uncommon path, but started in the world of uh, selling my position um, in contracts to residential redevelopers, then realized, wait, there's a better way to do this. I can also lend them some of my own money to help with the uh, rehab cost, get paid simple interest. And then I also realized that. Wait, I can also lend the money and instead of, you know, quote unquote, selling this contract for a a quick, short, heavily taxed profit, I can actually say, let's partner. I'm going to still do the lending the money. I'm going to bring the deal to you. You're going to do all the work and run your crew. We're going to split some profits on the back end. And. Uh, doing that for about two years, I had a, a good friend of mine who is a COO for a large apartment acquisition um, and asset management firm. He just kept steadily dripping on me. He says, look, I know you. You've got a business mind. You're a good person. You're a hard worker. You're an honest person. You should really get out of that heavily taxed industry, even though you're killing it. it the the supply is is." tough here in Colorado when you're looking for fix and flips and he said you have to be getting killed on taxes like I know you're getting killed on taxes and he was right and it just it was a steady drip of just pure love and advice from him one day I woke up and said I'm gonna learn how to syndicate apartment communities and that's how I got my start and that that's yeah that's what made me do the transition and from there I went all in I dropped everything single family no more private lending, no more wholesaling and partnering with, with Flippers. It was all, let me get into this business, start talking to brokers, equity partners, underwriting deals, just learning it from inside out. So, been steadily at it for a good coming up on, you know, t- coming up on two years now.
0: Yeah, that's tremendous. There's a lot of things that strike me about that. One, one is li- like the... Um, kind of the, the level of problem that you know your ancestor had you know in the last couple of, uh, of generations here and there's you see a lot of complaining kind of today out there and I think a lot of times it's because we got it too easy right we don't have real problems in a lot of cases now plenty of people do have real problems but um, not like you know you, you not speaking the language and you gotta uh, take over at 13 and do all this stuff so um, but sure. I think that's a tremendous asset and something I struggle with with my kids. is like, how do I bring them up through this without giving it to them, right? Yes. Um, and so, that's man, that's great. And obviously, it kind of paid dividends for you. Another thing that um, is really common, and I'm sure you see it all the time, is this transition from single family. Talk a little bit about the, this is a conversation I have with folks a lot, uh, kind of offline. Talk about the kind of, I guess, kind of person you're dealing with on the commercial side versus the single family world. Because it's kind of a different animal, right?
1: It's Yes, it's totally different because, I mean, it was it was completely different because for me, in the position that I was in, I was the deal maker, so to speak. So, I was actually doing direct-to-seller marketing, looking for people that needed to sell, and even in this market, for whatever reason, their house just needed so much work that a young couple looking for a home... Um, even though they can get it for a steal of a price, they're like, well, we both work full-time. We have young kids. There's no way we can renovate it and do it. So, it just really made no sense to put it on the market. So, I was going in and having more conversations with the sellers and positioning myself as saying, look, we've done this many flips. We have a track record of it. We can close cash. You don't need to worry about an appraisal. Like, we're going to get all that done after we buy it from you. So, um so that was the conversations I was having, and then conversation with the business partners who were going to come in and partner with me um, on the actual flip. And they were going to, again, they were going to do all the work. I've never actually flipped a home. So I wasn't having the private money conversations at all. Oh, right. The- yeah. Right. The residential redeveloper, the one actually doing all the work, they were the ones coming in. And I mean, I would lend a little bit, but I'm talking twenty to $25,000, not sure. 100000 plus. So they were having the, the conversations with their private money lenders, their hard money lenders, which was more common in that field. Um, so it was totally new to me. I had never had to sit down with someone and say, I have an investment opportunity that I would like you to partner with me on. Let me tell you about the details, why this is a great opportunity. So that was, it was new to me. I had to jump right in. And uh, and that's exactly what I did was I had a sample deal, which was not, it, it wasn't real. And they knew that. Right. But I was showing them, hey, here's my transition. I've been, you know, doing the single family for two years. This is why I'm switching over. And we would talk about the tax benefits, the cash flow, the longevity of it, the, the, the tax-free, Uh, profits if you can refinance and then ultimately profit on the on the longer back end maybe five seven ten years down the road and um I'll I'll start having those conversations and just tell them why I switch and show this opportunity and say when something like this actually is available would you be interested in possibly partnering with me because as equity we're not looking for debt they are true partners as you know they're partners in the deal
0: sure they own they own shares of the LLC yep
1: yes Yes.
0: Yep. That's, yeah, that's interesting. So, uh, you know, I had a lot of experience in the single family world and did that for a long time, uh, probably too long. And, um, but that's how I got my start kind of having these uh, capital conversations, right? Private money lenders. So, you didn't have that in the single family world. You went kind of right into having these discussions Mm -hmm. with equity for multifamily. Um, Sample deal package, great concept, right? Mm -hmm. You you know, you're, you're spelling out the returns, you're answering all the questions you're especially somebody new to the real estate we're gonna buy an apartment what are you talking about so you can cover all that with zero stakes with a sample deal package that's that's the way to do it what are some other things with those equity conversations and obviously you've gotten very proficient at that over the years but what have you found to be helpful when you're having conversation with somebody
1: that might say invest $50,000 in one of your deals well some of the biggest things that are I think helpful is having having partners on your team that have an extensive track record because even though it sounds very enticing i mean i was on a i was on a uh, podcast recently and she asked me you know why do you think why don't you think more people are investing in this asset class and the answer is simple because most people don't know about it and and, and the other thing is it sounds too good to be true so with me transitioning, if I sit down with you and Devin and say, hey, this is why I'm transitioning. Let me tell you about why it's solid and why I believe in this and why I think I'm going to be doing this for another 40, 50 years. And you say, wow, I mean, you, you got me. It, it does sound awesome. Almost too good to be true. I'm glad you turned me on to it because I, I didn't know I could own a piece of an apartment building. Right. Um, I, I think you would say, though, but – you've, this is your first one. Like, are you sure you're going to be able to have these results? So, and that's when you leverage, you know, partner. I heard a term recently that I love, you know, partner with the pros. When yep. you have someone that has the track record and you can explain to this equity partner you're sitting down with, Hey, look, Freddie and Fannie, you know, Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, they're not just, they're not going to give anyone $5 million because they're your biggest partner, by the way. They're not going to give anyone $5 million to go buy an apartment they need to see that you know how to run this type of business and my partner here you know x y and z have done this they have you know a thousand four thousand whatever it is doors in the southeast market and they've done this time and time again you know you're not placing your bet so to speak on me the rookie who this is going to be my first deal you are in you're making an investment in, alongside the team so having right. that track record and that partnership Set up in place and your team, like talk about the property management company. They make or break the investment, you know. Yeah, that's a
0: great point. And the, the multifamily deals are so big that it necessitates having that team. And people are uh, getting into the business. You're forced to get out of that kind of I do everything entrepreneur mentality, which is uh, in a way I see a lot of people getting stuck there. Right? Yeah. Hey I mean, I'm going to do everything the best. Well, look, I'm sorry. You're buying a 200 unit apartment complex. There's going to be a team you know They're just- yeah. so it really becomes more about working through other people being um, very selective on your your partnerships but once you can lock in those good partnerships whether it's property management whether it's operators whatever it is mm-hmm. this thing starts to just explode I mean as you've seen you talk about being in this business for a couple of years and you know you're just kind of blowing and going and that, that is not a long time in in the course of, you know next to juxtaposed against like other business models right you yep. basically be able to scale this very quickly so yes um, that's great so do you spend um, you know a lot of your time kind of building new equity relationships kind of nurturing existing is it a combination of both or what, what do you like to spend your time on
1: yeah it it is a combination of both and I think it's something that's going to be an ongoing practice for Like throughout my multifamily career, I I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to say, "Okay, I need to stop trying to find new equity partners," just because, you know, we have a we use the five hundred six B exemption, which allows qualified, sophisticated investors in. And when you have a sophisticated investor, they have maybe they have done a really good job at saving one hundred to five hundred thousand dollars. And once that's once that's deployed. Um, they can you need new people to partner with because your their money's with you, and you 're making a profit now when you sell they 're going to have new cash to partner again with so it 's a revolving wheel of being able to help those people but I think you 're always going to need more and we 're limited by two things: the amount of true deals that we can actually find and it is as you know it's it is tough in today 's market, so having true. patience and waiting in Underwriting, you know, one, two, three hundred until you find the right one is worth the wait. And um, the other thing that's going to limit you is the amount of equity partners that you have. Because if you have the team that can qualify, we have the track record, the liquidity, someone that can sign on the loan. It's like, okay, you're set up there. Now you need the other two pieces of the puzzle, which is the deal and the money. So I I see it's something ongoing and it is one of my primary focuses. I am guilty. I, I was... And in still, in some areas of business, I am a lone wolf, but it was so easy for me to let go and say, wait a minute, if I play lone wolf in this industry, I'm never going to do a deal. Bingo. Yeah. So I needed that really good acquisitions partner who's flying out and meeting brokers face-to-face walking properties saying, here's what I liked. Here's what we didn't like. I want to make an offer on this one. Or when you see XYZ, send that to me um, and then we're getting pocket listings, totally off market. Sometimes maybe by our property management company gets word of mouth. Hey, so and so selling. Oh, they're looking. Let's put you together. I needed that because with me running, I also I run a medical device business. I have three small kids. Um, I can focus, and I like focusing on investor relations and thought leadership, and just educating people with. Not looking for anything in return. If it ever pans out, that's fine. But if not, um, that's fine too. If at the very least I can teach someone about this opportunity as an alternative investment and then they find the right partner, it might be you, not me. That's fine. I've done my duty and and in the process, um, I'm happy. I like it.
0: Yeah. And you're putting the good stuff out there and it, it, it finds its way back to you for sure in buckets. So I love it. Let's, we talked about a sample deal package earlier. Could you walk me through what you're looking for in a deal? Like let's say somebody comes to you, you go, yeah, I have this fractional apartment ownership sounds interesting. I read something about it on Forbes, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But what kind of returns can I expect? And you know, what does a typical deal
1: look like that you're, that you're trying to source? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, and I, I, you know, I do the opposite of what most people would think, but there's a really good reason why. So if I sat down with you, and so let's say you weren't who you are and you were just like a really busy businessman, you're a, you're a brain surgeon now. And um, oh, thank you're you. Like, okay, you're like, hey, I don't like I'm the hours, you. but I'll, I'll take the title. Yeah, I'm busy helping these people, I'm really making a difference. I'm a brain surgeon, and I, I I don't have the. I can't be a lone wolf, you know, I'll never do a deal, but I need some help um, putting this money to, to work for me. You know, tell me about what you do. So when we first sit down and start to build a relationship, my sample deal package is actually not gonna be a home run deal. It's gonna be a deal that barely hits the hurdles of what we would accept, because here's why. If I sit down with you and show you, and I'm exaggerating here, but in three years, you're gonna have a 200, total return on investment and it's a 20% cash on cash return and you're like man and and you believe me because first of all that's unrealistic I get it's possible but I haven't done anything like that so what I'm saying is when I show you and you're like yes show me this when I bring you the first deal and it's actually more like uh, an eight to ten percent average cash on cash return. The IRR is maybe fifteen to seventeen. Your total return on investment instead of a two hundred you know percent return is more of like a one hundred five percent return. Which, by the way, those are still great numbers. But you're gonna say, hey, what happened to we were in two years we were gonna like two hundred percent my return and it was a 20% cash on cash. I'm going to wait till you bring that again. So if that doesn't exist, don't put that in front of people. I would rather sit down with you with something so conservative of returns that when we show you a real deal, hopefully even with conservative underwriting, the returns are going to be slightly above that. And then you're going to feel like, wow, I I liked his sample. This is even better
0: that's such a great point you know i think all of our disappoint or all of our upset in life i think i've boiled down to one thing and it's violated expectations yeah you know <laughs> sitting in traffic if you expect it and you knew it was coming okay it sucks but you're going to sit through the traffic but if you didn't expect traffic and you get traffic and your expectations were violated oh man yeah you're upset you know so having the right expectation uh is so important and then you know violating expectations is, is a really negative thing. And so you want to set it up so that the baseline is acceptable to raise capital, right? Yes. If you're showing somebody, Hey, 8% return and we're going to double the money in five years, whatever it is, that's pretty attractive. I've even had investors come to me and go, is this real? And I go, man, this is like, <laughs> we wouldn't do the deal if we couldn't do this, you know, right, you right. talk to anybody doing multifamily, you know, they're trying to get to kind of somewhere in the similar range. And that was like the baseline. So, um, yeah. that's a great point to set expectations correctly. Um, how much time are you spending right now? Educating investors kind of on the tax side. Neither of us is a CPA that I know. Nope, but why not? It's a component, right? So, you know, how, how much does that factor into
1: your education? Yeah, you know, we, we do mention it a lot when sitting down. And um, I mean, I recently, this is this is a true, this is true. Um, I had an investor invest 60K, so $60,000 into, which is, um, you know, usually the minimum is 50 to 100. But anyway, he invests 60 and he sent me an email and I was like, wow, because we hadn't even owned it for a year. And but because of cost segregation and bonus depreciation, he was like, I was surprised, even though it's cash flowing. He's receiving, you know, his his, uh, his distributions. He's like, I was surprised to see the $27,000 uh, loss because of depreciation. Now, that's because, you know, when you do cost segregation, bonus depreciation, you could potentially depreciate 30% of the building in year one. Right. So, we talk about it and actually it's something that it's in my brain and I wish we would be able to somehow conservatively put it into the underwriting model so that when I sit down or when we actually send a real package out, I can show like, hey, here's year one cash flow. And because of bonus depreciation, cost segregation, conservatively um, of the $10,000 cash flow you receive, you know, we're expecting a $12,000 loss year one. And that way they can see, oh, so wait, I'm going to cash flow this $10,000 and actually on paper, I'm going to lose more than I make, which means I get to keep it. Um, so I, I talk about it, but we don't give specifics and I would, I would like to be able to give conservative, um, conservative projections, just like we do with the underwriting. It's all conservative. Even if you like what I show you in the deal package, behind the scenes, my partners and I are planning on over delivering. Right. Yeah. There's something built into the underwriting on
0: the back end where you've got cushion or multiple areas. That's, that's such a great point. Um, you know, I've talked about that with some folks too. We don't we don't project any, um, you know, any losses per se. You know, I'm a little nervous about kind of putting a number to it, right? Because, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not a CPA, the tax code may change. So, we just kind of put a slide in there on, sure. hey, we're going to do a cost seg study, which is an engineer going out there and cataloging the whole property and we can basically take the depreciation and shorten it. And we expect uh, significant losses, you know, significant paper losses rather, you know, uh, in year one and beyond. So, you know, that's kind of interesting. And, and and we've talked kind of with our team too, about how do we, how do we um, spell that out for people that, because sometimes investors, you know, if they're new, they might, it might get around to K one time and they're going, oh, wow, I didn't, realized we were going to get this fat paper loss. Mm-hmm. and It's like, oh, I guess I did a bad job explaining it to you because that's like one of the main reasons people do this, right?
1: Yeah. Is to get some uh, to get some paper losses. And that, that's exactly what happened with him. He He's a very savvy investor owns multiple like enough single family doors to to make a small apartment community, but they're single family. And on the right. single family side, I mean, that's less common. Uh, you know, I, I was in single family for two years it was flips which is different it wasn't holds but still i hear cost segregation you know bonus depreciation all that it's you don't hear it talked about and, and heck i don't know like you said i'm not an expert maybe it's not even allowed maybe it has to be commercial five doors and up i'm not sure but um and it could I think it's just cost prohibitive on the single fan you know it's like it's it, just, right you know the investment's not worth the the write-off but yeah and that's so that's what happened to him he was like i w- he was sophisticated very mm-hmm. qualified and knowledgeable enough to make the investment as far as the SEC would be concerned sure he just he was surprised and happy yeah that's great and I
0: think that goes back to one of the points you made at the top of the show is that um, not Everybody knows about this stuff. You and I live and breathe it. So it's one thing to, to understand all of it. But yeah. there's a lot of really smart people out there, but they've spent their time becoming a dentist or a doctor or mm-hmm. owning a construction business, whatever it is. And they don't have the expertise over here. So they're relying on you to provide that expertise. Um, let's kind of dial into kind of the, the, the assets themselves and some of the projects. Any standout stories in terms of, you know, operation stuff, good or bad, like maybe a rehab that went real good or I mean have you guys had fires or anything bad happen on the properties anything any stories or
1: you want to speak to on the uh, on multifamily side yeah. yeah um no we had uh, I mean I yes I think something really good is just to talk about is to go really granular when you're doing your due diligence I mean, we bought we bought a property um in southern Mississippi which is not not a place on most investors uh, real estate commercial real estate investors market I mean, if I went to a seminar today and I stood up and said You know how many people are looking in? uh, Biloxi, Mississippi for example, right? um, like Maybe one hand would go up. But if I said who's looking in uh, Dallas Houston, you know what I'm saying? Um, who's looking in maybe even Atlanta or Louisville some of the more popular markets Right it's different, so what I say is go granular and find out what is happening versus what is speculation so when we bought one of the reasons we we like that first of all it's a c class by vintage, meaning only because it was built in the 70s but the location and i 'm not exaggerating i'm being conservative we're calling it an a minus to b plus location because it's one of those places so much new retail right along a major highway where they come into the come into the port they unload the, the the product and they drive it you know ship it to the United States our apartment sits right off that highway so obviously it's main thoroughfare sure and um it'd be one of those apartments that if you lived in it and you had a family or even if you were single and you just thought we're like yeah hey, I'm gonna go out for dinner tonight you don't get in your car you just walk <laughs> like outstanding every- yeah, it's like everything is literally right there. So I, I say go granular. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers had just spent, they weren't going to, they had just completed four or five years of due diligence and had already, it's approved and it's in process now, three quarters of a billion expansion of the port. But what that's going to do is bring in many more jobs. It's going to make people want to move and live there. We, and we already seen some things happening behind it. When, right when they were finishing up the, the port due diligence, um, missed, they, they broke ground on a $93 million state-of-the-art aquarium. So you know there's other, other industries and the city is already saying, okay, guys, this is happening. We just got approved for a brand nice shiny new road to support this expansion of the Gulf like the U S Navy had signed a $5 billion contract with a shipbuilder in the area to build five new destroyers. It was so many things that we were like, all this is happening, but no one's talking about this. Let let's go. Now I always say, and I don't, I don't want people to take this wrong. It's just, it's a saying, but I'm like, you want to be in Austin before Austin is Austin. <laughs> right. You don't want to go to Austin today and again, right. I'm not saying you can't make a deal work there. It's just, it's an example. <laughs> yeah. You know, so because, um, so right now, if no one's there, but every sign going granular, talking to the Chamber of Congress, um, Commerce, sorry, um, looking at what's going on locally in the news, getting the actual reports and saying, okay, no, all this is actually, it's happening, not speculation, and you can be there first. In that next three to five years, you will see that appreciation. And it's, you're going to say, wow, I, I was there when it was 30, 40, 50 a door mm-hmm. and now it's 70 to 90, you know? Yep.
0: Yep. No, that's, that's such a great point. You know, typically we don't underwrite these things expecting big appreciation. You want it to perform kind of on its own. But uh, if you can do that kind of more macroeconomic research and step in front of some of those things happening, yeah, that's the way to be. That's the way to be.
1: Well, even like you said, though, even in the underwriting, so the deal worked regardless mm-hmm. of whether or not we're right or wrong. And the 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 quote unquote poised boom, which is what I think it was Realtor.com named ten small cities that were poised. They even said likened to be the next Austin, which is where I kind of probably pulled that analogy from. Sure. But, um, even if it even if that doesn't happen, the numbers we showed to our investors were as if we had the first three years. We modeled in our upside, our value add, because we're going to improve operations as well. Um, and then after the after the first three years, we just stayed with a conservative. It was it was like a three percent increase on expenses every year for the next ten years. Yep. And then we're going to say a, a moderate one and a half percent rent growth because we actually we think it's going to be bigger. So what I'm getting sure. at is, if that poised boom happens and like things are already in place to make it happen our investors are going to be really happy
0: yeah yeah those aren't all the
1: numbers we showed
0: yeah love it yeah you got to have something in your back pocket or a lot of things in your back pocket that you're not uh, over promising on the front end and I think some of those local metrics and if if the money's you know if the contracts are signed for some of those mega deals um you know it's all in multifamily is all about jobs right so if you, if yes. you can attract jobs and, and, uh, people have jobs. They're obviously going to need a place to live, but the, the foundation of the whole thing is jobs. So you follow jobs, put yourself in the path of growth, places where there's positive net migration, more people moving to the area. Um, that's one of the, kind of the fundamental recipes for success in multifamily. And so that sounds like a great, great, uh, little market and you're right. You don't hear a lot of people talking about that. So congratulations on getting something locked up there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And it's going, I mean, it's just going phenomenal. Everything from our, I mean, we're basically having the leasing agent, um, you know, we don't want to price ourselves out of the market, but Mm -hmm. even beyond our third year projection where we modeled out a conservative, it's going to take us three years to get there. We're like, well, you know, the one down the street, we know that they're getting this for this unit and we're just telling the leasing agent, um, you know, price it at that. And they're coming back and saying like, they signed.
0: <laughs> so, no problem. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: That's great. Love it. So what, um, what are your goals? You know, you're two years into, into from founding Edified Equity. What are mm. your goals kind of for, for the next year and how do you plan to get there?
1: Yeah. So my, you know, our goal is I'm, I'm in a good position to where we don't, have to do a deal in other words that's such a great point and that's such a great position to be in yep yeah so if i don't do a deal for two years uh my family's fed my bills are paid i'm not stressed the good and and it's the same way with my partners so the good thing about that is we don't have to do a deal and we can be very patient and we can underwrite as many as we need to and then we can execute on the one that makes sense so having said that in today's market if it takes like so we you know we're in you know mid-april and we've closed on one in january 25th we closed on one but in all honesty i really in my brain i count that as a 2018 because we had done most of the work in 2018 we just happened to close on it on the January. so essentially in my brain i haven't done a deal in 2019 yet now we have one under contract that's in the pipeline that is just looking awesome, true off market, but a really good story. Um, and, and I re- believe that one's going to close and be a great opportunity for everyone. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to put, so I'm not, what I'm saying is I'm not going to say I want to do 1,000 units this year because of course I do. But if 1,000 units don't make sense, um, I would rather do zero. Yep. The, the, the point I'm trying to make is I go to sleep every night feeling confident and secure that my investor partners are in great safe stable secure opportunities and if 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 I don't feel that way I will gladly back away step away from the deal because for me um what eats what eats me alive is if you and I both invested hundred thousand dollars in a deal and it went south I'm the type of person that would I would be like that was an expensive lesson to learn but no use crying over spilt milk What's next? Never let that happen again. It's your loss that would literally, it would, it would eat me alive. And I would have ulcers yep. and have to go like to the doctor and probably have right. therapy. So, right. so I want to be, I want to feel like every deal is like that or I won't do it. But the ultimate goal, you know, the ultimate goal for me, I have a number, you know, in my head that I would like to get passive, but at passive income, but even, mm-hmm. I don't even need to share that because my story is this. I'm going to be doing this for at least another 30 years. I'm in this for the long game. I want to continue to educate people about the opportunity. And there's also, um, there's a why tied to my family. I told you I was raised by entrepreneurs, but this was bootstrap entrepreneurs, not the type of entrepreneurs that said, um, okay, my business is up and running. I'm going to go check out France for a month and see what that looks like. No, because when you come back, things might have blown up. I want to teach and show, because I believe that our children do what they see us do. And I want to show my children that it's possible for you to continue to love your passion and do what you want to do. And instead of teaching you to build up this pile of money so that you can live off of it when you retire, I would rather show you how to create a stream of income now. So if my daughter who it, she's my oldest, she's 10, loves dancing, it's her life. And I want her, if that continues to be her passion, be able to do that and not worry that she makes $20 a night dancing in the Broadway play in Denver, because she has set herself up with a stream of income. And um, that is, that's very important for me to teach them, as well as, you know, share that message with other people.
0: Love it! Yeah, that's such a great message. I mean, your kids are watching you way more than they're listening, if they're listening at all. And um, you get to you get to demonstrate that for them. And I think that's a very tangible way to leave a positive impact yeah. on the
1: world is to is to show your children that. Because something I want to share this, um, and I've said this before, but I so an investor had posted on his uh, it's a Facebook group I'm a part of. This is back in the single family days, but anyway, he had a picture of two kids, and so this this will hit home, especially if you have children. Um, and you're an adult who's been a child. Two kids are playing with like a fire engine and a train set, and one kid says to the other kid, "It's like a comic drawing," and he says, um, "So what did you want to? So what did you want to be before you gave up?" Mm-hmm. And I was like if you switch that to, you know, what what did you want to do before you like grew up and had to get the job to make the ends meet? And I was like, that's exactly what I don't want. I want her to dance. The other one wants to be a paleontologist. The other one is like in love with anything that has to do with cars. And he's only like three and a half. So I'm like, if that character, like if that's what's pulling on you, I want to show you how to continue to do that and be happy. And I'm not saying this isn't work because what I'm doing is it's a lot of work. Sure, But it's different. It's a different mindset than saying, I'm going to go to work, create a pile and live off of it, which I mean, you're, if you're saving up a ton of money, number one, you're battling inflation always. Yep. And, um, it's just not the right way. What, but my pile of money is that hundred unit building, that 58 unit building, that 260 door apartment community, like there. you want to know where my pile is. It's right there. And guess what? It's paying me today. It's Mm -hmm. sheltering and deferring taxes and it's going to pay me a profit eventually. Like I'd rather have that pile. And by the way, it's producing way, it's way outpacing inflation. Right.
0: Right. That's such a great point. And something I try to kind of convey to people that are new to this is your cash is, it's like a hot potato. You really need to kind of get it in something because it's just sand in an hourglass. And if you Mm -hmm. let it sit there, it's going to just be eroded by inflation and, and, um, it's, it's just not you know that's not the highest and best use of of uh, cash I mean you want to have some cash around, but uh, yeah. putting in these vehicles is just it's, it can be life changing for people, especially you start to stack a few and you kind of do it over the years and you see some exits and mm-hmm. stuff really starts to really starts to snowball um so this is fantastic content, Dino. You know, I appreciate you sharing with everybody. If somebody wants to reach out learn more, you've got education, you've got a podcast, you've got an education platform, thought leadership platform, a lot of free content out there for people to consume. But for somebody that wants to, you know, get on the phone and actually talk to you, learn about what you're up to, what's the best way for folks to contact you?
1: Yeah, I would say go go to the website. Uh, there's a, a way to connect with me there. There's a, a calendar link. We can get on a quick and set up a call, sync up schedules, um, and you can you know. There's just. Um, I'm also easy. You can message me on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on, you know, Twitter, now Instagram, like all the social. So I would say just direct message me. I had someone do it on LinkedIn today and I'm driving. I have a business meeting. I told you, um, business meeting um, later on in Wyoming, actually. And, oh, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be making calls, you know, on the drive. Very productive with um, with my dashboard time. And like one last thing I want to share is because you just talked, you said something good about inflation and I know we're pressed for time, but here's the thing. When you get, per, like someone invests with you, it's very personal. Someone invests with me is very personal. They all have this. They have access to me, my, my cell phone. Um, when you invest in the stock market, and I'm not saying you can't make money there. I have a bad experience with it where I had $100,000 actually over. They had some things happen on the upper echelon where they were untruthful to Wall Street that became public and my stock went from basically 55 to the very low 20s overnight and it took five years for me to get back to 50 and right. in that case, I would have been better off burying my $100,000 in the backyard <laughs> and fighting inflation. So right. it, it's like we, ha- we also have control. If you buy right, you don't over leverage, you buy for cash flow, not just the appreciation. Um, your operators have a lot of say so on the outcome and you have that personal. I couldn't call that CEO and say, Hey man, what were you thinking? (laughs) I have no access. to them. No access. Yep. Yeah. So I just wanted to throw that because it was, it was top of mind and you had made a really great comment. That's such a good point. You know,
0: you know, these are direct investments. So your investors have a share of the company that owns the property. Yeah. And so the amount of, there's nobody in between them and the, and the asset. So there's not, um, you know, a hundred different markups along the way. This is a direct investment in the real estate without any kind of middleman there. So that, that helps. That helps everything. And then also, you know, you want to call the CEO of the company. You want to call the operator. You want to call Dino on a cell phone. You yeah. got it. You yeah. know, so there's that's a huge difference there with this kind of investment versus the alternative. So I appreciate that point. Well, guys, listening, uh, please reach out to Dino. Go to edifiedequity.com and, you know, find Dino all over social media, LinkedIn, the podcast. What's, the pod, what's your podcast called, Dino?
1: If you go to iTunes, it's on iTunes and Stitcher, maybe even uh, other channels. Those are the two main ones. Um, but you just search Edified Equity or Dino Pierce. I think it comes up with both. If you search Dino Pierce, you'll probably, and you also catch my guest podcast, podcast like you'd see me on this one. Um, that's it. Awesome. Same thing on
0: YouTube. Very cool. Appreciate it. Well, Dino, thanks so much for your
1: time. Have a great day, man. Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. See you. Okay. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the DJE Podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.